this uh, this message, it seems, or this scripture, it seems kind of straightforward at first and maybe even a little archaic sounding. After all, it's 2,000 years old. But I think it gets to the core of some of the issues that we are really wrestling with as a society. And um, the writer, uh, poet, author, uh, Toni Morrison, who just passed away recently, she wrote about uh, this um, possibility and this sort of threat that we are faced with as we consider how we're handling the conflicts um, in our nation's midst, midst right now. This essay she wrote was called Home, and in one part she said, the destiny of the 21st century will be shaped by the possibility or the collapse of a shareable world, a shareable world. Um, when I think of that, uh, a shareable world, I think very quickly about the state of our democracy, the strain on our democracy right now, and um, how home for us will be denied. You see, it it would be it would be easy to preach a message about this and sort of ignore those things and say that, you know, this is a, a spiritual thing we're talking about here. Um, but any of us who are being honest about uh, what's going on in our world right now can see the complete intertwinement of our politics and our religion and our ideologies and our theology. Um, Two professors from Yale, they, they wrote an article recently in a, in a journal called The Atlantic, uh, Professor Amy Chua and Jed Rubineld, uh, talking about our political climate and tribalism, this idea of tribalism in politics. And they said this about our current climate, that it's a climate in which every group in America, minorities and whites, conservatives and liberals, the working class and elites feel under attack pitted against the others, not just for jobs and spoils, but for the right to define the nation's identity. Now, maybe you're not a, a, a very politically minded person. Maybe recently all you've been doing is dealing with how can you get your kids into virtual school and, and help them keep learning or, or, or just how to navigate your work-life relationships. Uh, and home relationships. But I bet you can relate to this idea of feeling under attack for the right to define your identity. That if we if we scale that back, that 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 quote back, that's what that's what we're talking about on the ground level is is being afraid and feeling like you have to fight to define your identity, that your identity is under attack. Um, have you ever felt that way? You ever felt that way personally, uh, where you were wronged and someone was trying to say something about you that defined you and you wanted to get back that identity that was under attack? Uh, middle school. If you've been to middle school, then you can relate to this. Uh, probably most of us can remember names we were called in middle school. Probably doesn't take more than a half second in our memory to get to one of those things. For me, I remember when I moved here uh, to Cordova and started at a middle school 
And um, somebody made fun of me and said I had a pig nose. And um, and so one person said it, and so other people said it because it was middle school. And for a long time, um, that hurt really bad. And I would try to uh, respond and attack um, in order to sort of like get that lost identity back, that way of seeing myself and feeling comfortable with who I was back by retaliating with other name calling and sometimes just, you know, quietly raging in a lot of shame. Can you relate to anything like that in middle school or any other time in your life? Uh, what, what about, can you relate to being the name caller? Uh, can, you, can you relate to trying to like preemptively strike other people uh, so that you could feel safe in your identity and you could be the one who establishes what's normal or what's okay or what's funny. Uh, I, I think this is, if we scale that back up, this is exactly what's happening on many levels in our, in our country right now with much higher stakes. Um, we want to define ourselves because we've been hurt, because we're afraid, we want to find something to define ourselves against, something that we think we can be against in order to feel more safe and more secure in what we are. And I think this context is really important as we come to this passage about confronting grievances or sins that have been done against us. Because when we talk about this national problem, I mean, what can we do? I'm not, I'm not, I can't answer that question in this sermon. Um, we live in probably the most complex democratic society that's ever existed in the world. And so I know what we won't be able to do to solve those problems. We won't be able to solve it by just having an us versus them, or one party is right and one party is wrong politically, and we align God with one of those parties. But what we can do is we can take a step in this journey of how to address grievances and how they affect our, our sense of anxiety. So we, we can't take a, a jet-like journey to a solution, but I think we can, with this passage where Jesus speaks on these things, I think we can take a step on an unsteady and cracked and conflict-filled road, but we can take a step forward in it. So let's, let's take a look at some of these verses together. So verse 15, the first verse of this passage, it says, If your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. So what we're looking at here is a conflict between two people. Um, some, of, some of the manuscripts that make up the where we get our translation of the New Testament from, some of them don't say sins against you. They just say sin. Some of them say sins against you. And that's kind of where I'm going to start with is uh, in this passage, if, if your brother or sister sins against you. Um, you see, we feel hurt and attacked by a lot of things. And it helps us 
to sort of define the other person as wrong or a sinner. Um, and we have an incredible urge a lot of times to correct other people. I don't know. I don't know if you ever feel that. I feel that uh, at different times um, on social media. Oh man, how how much of social media is is people trying to correct other people right now? My goodness. Um, and I'm not saying it's not valid in 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 different cases, um, but also in person. And so the first step when we think about this is before you are ready to jump and confront uh, another person about what you think they've done wrong, whether it be in general or um, to you specifically, it's very important to practice a discipline of self-reflection if you want to see something positive profit from this kind of confrontation. There's plenty of times that's not what we're interested in, and we'll talk about that in a second. But in terms of self-reflection, you know, Jesus talks about this earlier in the, in the Gospel of Matthew in, in chapter 7, uh, starting in verse 1. He says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So, Jesus is hitting at something here that's essential for us to bring to the passage this morning. Um, I, I, can, I can relate to this, of, of feeling uneasy, disturbed easily on my insides. And so I look outward to see uh, what I can correct around me. Because I imagine if I can correct the things I think that are wrong around me, then I'll have peace inside. That's what my imagination tells me. But that's a bottomless pit. You, can, you never find satisfaction that way. That's why you can see 90, 100, 200 comment long threads of people arguing about something, completely missing each other, not even talking about the same things um, that the other is talking about. You can't satisfy your lack of peace on the inside by trying to correct other people on the outside. It will leave you in a state of rage and irritation that will isolate and alienate others. You know, I saw an extreme example of this. I, I saw, um, I was telling the staff about this earlier this week. I saw a, a really cool picture on Facebook for guitar lessons. Uh, the way uh, the the woman uh, was was marketing, she had a picture of herself, and she had this really cool pose sitting in between these two ferns, and she just looked like really cool. And I was like, man, I'd I'd want to take a, a guitar lesson from somebody that looked that cool, you know? Like this is an effective ad. And I I looked in the comments, and there was a man raging about guitar lessons in the Facebook feed. And I saw a comment and I said, well, surely this is just, he just did this and you know, somebody responded. But it went on and on and on. And other people were matching him. They were going back after him and having this argument. Complete strangers on this uh, ad for 
uh, guitarists, uh, guitar lessons. And that's, that's what we're doing when we get there. We might as well be arguing about a guitar lesson because we're trying to solve something on the, in, on the outside that originates from the inside. And what that leaves us is rageful and isolated in our relationships. So, before you decide you need to go correct and, and fix somebody else and tell them about uh, what they're doing wrong, especially on social media, try self-reflection. Try um, to determine what's going on inside of you, recognizing what do I feel hurt about from what this person said? What am I afraid of? If you can't do that, you need to get help. If you're unable to restrain yourself from arguing about any and everything on social media or in your personal life, that's an important issue for someone who wants to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, who wants to be uh, becoming a follower of Jesus Christ, as we say in our mission. Um, this is a very important spiritual discipline. Guided prayer and meditation can help you begin to find a center within yourself so that you can do what Jesus talks about in Matthew 7, where you can examine and find the plank in your own eye. So, yeah, undoubtedly you say, man, these are important things that people are wrong about, and I agree. I agree. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, recently I wanted to, I wanted to, say something to my wife, I was, I was afraid about maybe the way she was going into a certain perspective or a certain situation. And I said to her, hey, um, let me give you a piece of advice. Oh, yeah. And it was like I could see myself saying it in slow motion, and I couldn't stop myself. How do you think that, that worked out for me? Do you think either one of us gained a uh, a mutual higher respect or regard or problem-solving ability for one another when I just was offering advice for something I thought maybe she needed to hear or think about? No. No, of course not. Here's, here's, what, here's what I'm saying right now. I want you and I want myself to ask this question. What do you need to confront in yourself as you consider potential confrontations. And I, I want to address this uh, uh, about this idea because some of you might be thinking about what's going on right now with calling out racism and things like that on social media and that whole discussion and that kind of war going back and forth. Um, there's this idea of, of silence is violence. Okay? This idea that... Um, if you don't say something about something wrong, you're doing violence uh, to pe black people and, and, and people of color. And the answer to that that's been happening so much is online, uh, so much online, is there are lots of white people who have gotten really scared and convicted about that, and they've started to have very abrupt conversations with family members over social media or just loose acquaintances. And it's been very unproductive. That's what I've seen. I've seen, a, I've seen a lot of wasted time and energy related to that. The few productive people that I've seen doing that work online 
are people that I know that have a discipline of self-reflection. They have a discipline of being able to examine their own insides that they've had lots of help with from other people. They didn't do it on their own. They didn't rationally solve the problem. Um, they had help learning disciplines of prayer and contemplation and reflection. And so they have better boundaries, and they know how and where to engage those conversations. So first, when you feel the urge to start correcting other people, and you may feel it often, invite yourself to do self-interrogation. So you aren't just trying to use this to measure against what you think is wrong to alleviate your own fear, your own hurt. Um, because sometimes, maybe even a lot of the time, when we start to engage in these battles, we're really just trying to convince ourselves that we're on the right side, that we're on the side of the angels. And self-justification has never brought anyone to enlightenment on issues of justice. I'm going to say that again. Self-justification has never brought anyone to enlightenment on issues of justice. I, <laughs> I saw an example of this where someone got into an argument with their grandma on social media and their grandma sent them an eight-page letter and they were, they were trying to get feedback online and it just was going on and on and on about how to, how to deal with their grandma about you know these issues. And um, a lot of it could be solved, not solved, but dealt with in a more healthy, productive, and not energy-wasting way with some self-reflection and determining where am I in all of this? Where is my identity at stake? What am I afraid of? What am I trying to hide from before I ever engage another person? The other thing that's really important here is this engagement is happening between two people. That's, that's what Jesus says here. He says, first, go and have a conversation with someone. Okay? So if the conversation starts on Facebook, then that's not a conversation between two people. That's a public conversation, which is where in this, in this um, uh, almost formula here or this, this paradigm, this framework for addressing conflict, that's the last place the conflict happens is in public. So uh, Matthew 16, uh, verse 16, chapter 18, verse 16 continues and it says, but if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. At first, this sounds like, you know, like ganging up, like I'm going to go bring my fixers to this, to the, to the situation. And, and, and I'm sure it's been done that way. And I'm sure it's been justified uh, biblically like that. Um, this is like every high school clique, right? It doesn't matter who's right or wrong. It matters who's more famous and more popular. Uh, to be, who's going to be determined to be right. Oh, that sounds a lot like American culture, doesn't it? Whoever's more famous, whoever has more likes, is right. But here's some things that might happen if this is done uh, in, in a genuine desire to say, I've been hurt, and I, I, I have been done wrong, and I want to bring this to you. I want you to hear me and listen and change your behavior 
and it matters to me because you're in my sphere of influence. I'm in a relationship with you, and I need to talk to you about this in order to stay in relationship with you. So what might happen if other people need to be involved, if that person isn't hearing you, then those people might be able to give some outside perspective. So first step, self-reflection. Second step, perspective. So if, uh, if you let other, a few other people in on the situation because it's so important to you, not to gang up on the person, um, but uh, in order to bring reconciliation, then what might happen is those people might say, hey, you know, I'm seeing this a little bit differently. Like, I understand you were hurt, but I think there's two sides to this perspective, and maybe it's not so black and white. Maybe, maybe uh, you're at fault as well. Maybe there's some things to address in the way you've delivered this message. But then also, it could very well, it could be that the wrongdoer, the person who did wrong and harm and sin towards another person, they might be able to hear voices from other people. And they might be more, more willing to see an area that was hidden from them, a blind spot. That's why this is so dangerous in a homogenous church community where everyone sort of thinks the same and has all the exact same answers. It's, it, that brings us back to like a clique in high school or like in a two-party government system that we're seem to be locked into. Um, we have to be on constant guard to watch for the tendency just to favor the person that's more like us. If you're unwilling to be able to admit that the people who you most identify with are wrong sometimes about some issues, then you're not going to be able to carry out uh, Jesus's uh, framework here of bringing a few more people with you. Uh, if you can't do that, see step one, see, see point one, self-reflection. So let's continue. I want to look at really want just one more verse right now. Um, so what we have time for today. Uh, this, the 17th verse says, if they still refuse to listen, so cons- assuming that they were indeed wrong, they, they hurt and harmed you or, or someone you loved, and they just aren't willing to listen at all, then it says, tell it to the church. Make it public in your spiritual community. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan, some translations say Gentile, or a tax collector. So now we're talking about someone who has committed a deep wrong and they're unwilling to listen about it. Here's what this scripture is saying in our context, I, I, I believe. I could be wrong, but I think so. Consider the identity that you hold within your sphere of influence. Um, is this person truly in your sphere of influence, your, your church um, community? Uh, what's your motivation for trying to convince this person is another way to think about that question. Are you trying to restore them to some community that you both belong to? Is that, is that what you're doing in this addressing of conflict? Um, here's, here's another example of social media. Since we're all you know trying to stay home more and election season's coming up, social media is, is, is where a lot of this is going on. Uh, somebody said, 
uh, that I that I care about, I respect. They said, if you're a Trump supporter, I will unfriend you. And this might be the right choice for that person. But this person is putting that out in public first, right? They're just telling everybody like, hey, heed this warning. Here's what's up. And that kind of thing, I think, can give us clues as to where we're spending our spiritual and creative energy around conflict. See, that's the thing is we have limited amount of spiritual and creative energy to engage in conflict. And if we want the kingdom of heaven on earth, if, if we want to see things resolved and, and justice manifesting in the world, then we have to be wise about how we spend spiritual and creative energy when we're dealing with conflicts. And recognizing who is in our sphere of influence is important. Otherwise, we can end up wasting a lot of energy. So, how do we know? Maybe maybe somebody was in your sphere of influence, but they're not anymore. Maybe you don't talk to them anymore. You just are Facebook friends with them or something. Um, maybe you were in that religious community, but you've changed, and it doesn't fit you anymore. And trying to speak back into it is really falling on deaf ears because you're not within their sphere of influence anymore. A, a way to, to know that is how, how does it affect you if, if that person has an opinion they want to bring to you? Is it something that you're deeply emotionally affected by? Are you willing to change your mind about those things? Are you willing to consider what they have to say? If not, they might not be in your sphere of influence either. But none of this will be sorted out really that great without deep self-reflection. Um, here's what I want to say about this. Uh Within our sphere of influence, and it takes some time and reflection to find what that is, is where the most productive conflict lies. You see, um, I, right now I'm not talking about like large-scale uh, social justice protests and things like that. That's a different conversation. I, I'm talking about who's in your sphere of influence and who is committing wrongs and harms that you are personally identifying with. That's what this passage is dealing with. So um, to be able to conserve your energy, to have real productive conversations, conversations with people that you know you can influence, means limiting your energy and your action in things outside of your sphere of influence. Um, we, we have to determine for ourselves where our identity is, lies and where we want it to lie so that we can identify what's in our sphere of influence and make positive change. Um, so, so Jesus says, treat them as a Gentile or tax collector. And that might sound harsh at first, but what he's saying is change your expectations of that person. They, they don't belong in the same. How did Jesus treat tax collectors? Well, he invited them to himself to dinner at their house and, and laughed and joked with them. How do you treat uh, Gentiles? Well, he, he told them he was the Messiah. He gave grace and mercy to them. He healed uh, people within their 
uh, within their ranks and things like that and offered them the kingdom of heaven. But he didn't have the same expectations of them. And that helps us to draw boundaries. So, and, and ultimately, if you're doing this in self-reflection, it will lead you to ask the questions, well, what makes me in and that other person out? What makes me on the inside and, and, and them on the outside? How am I so sure that I'm right? So, as we close uh, this conversation about conflict, we need to allow ourselves to have our identity slowly reshaped because that's, that will, that's what will change how we engage conflict. And that's based on how we accept an idea of our de- identity more firmly grounded in God through Christ Jesus. And that will allow us to be the agents of change in the world that we desire and want to be. So we can find our home together here on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we want to be able to do as we address conflict and come to resolution and bring more people in. So love you guys. Hope to see you all uh, this evening. Uh, God bless.